Sunday in Advent. Advent is a very special season in church history or in church tradition. It's a very old tradition and some some truly reformed denominations or truly reformed preachers and teachers consider this strange fire that doesn't belong in the church. Where does this tradition come from? Four weeks before Christmas. Hope, peace, joy, hope, peace, joy, and love. This morning we're looking at hope. What is this all about? This tradition began in the 6th century. Gregory I, Pope Gregory, began this tradition as a teaching tool. You mean we're doing something the Roman Catholics established? Well, well, here's the thing. John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion wrote that Gregory I was probably the last good pope. Now, there were about 900 years between Gregory and John Calvin. He said, that's the last good pope 900 years ago. And Gregory was the one who was responsible for instituting and sending missionaries to the Anglo-Saxons, Great Britain area, Germany area. He was evangelistic in some ways. He wrote prolifically. So this tradition of remembering or honoring or worshiping Christ in a very special way during this Christmas began with him. Why four weeks? Quite simply, there were four centuries between the ministry of the prophet Malachi, the last of the writing prophets, and the birth of Christ. So each week is supposed to represent a century. Thereby, we wait for the coming of the Lord. Well, he's already come. We stand between two advents. His first coming as a child born in a manger, human flesh, God in human flesh, in order that he might secure redemption for us. And we know that he will come again. Christmas season for us should also help us focus on the fact that Christ is coming again. Yes, we remember his birth, but we should remember he promised to come again. So this morning I would like to look at three points from this text in Proverbs chapter 23. Hope, hope in the joy of your father. Hope in the righteousness he provides. Hope in the promise of eternal life. If you've not got there yet, turn to Proverbs chapter 23. We'll just be reading four verses. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue to fear the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. 
Allow me to pray briefly, and then we will proceed. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your promise. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the love that we find in him. And we're thankful for the righteousness that we find in him. We know that spiritually we are thoroughly poverty-stricken. And we are so needy. But in Christ we find everything that we need. And it is secured for us forever. So this day, may we be refreshed. May we breathe in this fresh breath of hope. That we may rejoice together praising our Lord and Savior. It is for his name and glory we pray. Amen. Dr. Steve Brown teaches that wisdom, or the concept of wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs, is interchangeable with the person of Christ. The next time you read Proverbs, every time it speaks of wisdom, think of that wisdom, the source of it, the foundation of it, the truth of it, is Christ himself. Proverbs 2. We see the words, they're very familiar to us, and I've, I've talked about this before. The, works, the words of Proverbs, the words of Solomon, they are divinely inspired to speak to us in familial text or familial language. Father, Son, Mother. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find not the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come to your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion, discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and for men of perverted speech. You cannot gain wisdom, the wisdom of God, without building a relationship with him. You cannot experience hope in God without a relationship with him. Why should we, sinners, expect any hope from God? Quite frankly, pay attention. He desires to be in a relationship with us. He desires to give us hope. 
He enjoyed fellowship with Adam. Before the fall, Scripture tells us he walked in the cool of the day with Adam, or Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Don't go sleep yet. He desires to have a relationship with us. But here we need to qualify that, talk a little bit about the aseity of God, and I've talked about this before. I don't remember that word, aseity. God did not create man because he was lonely. He did not create, create because he needed anything. And that just really just boggles them a lot of people's minds. Why did God create Adam and Eve? Because he was lonely. He wanted somebody. No. He doesn't need anything. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, have all of the fellowship they need. They share all of the love that they need in the glory of their triune Godhead. This might hurt your feelings, but God doesn't need you. But he does desire. And that's something to think about. That's something to digest. That's something to deal with as you learn and mature and grow to understand who he is and gain a little bit of wisdom about what he does for us and why and what he expects for us. He doesn't need, but he does desire. First verse of our text, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Do I need to read it again? If the wisdom, the Father, in this text, is speaking about God our Father, and it's, we know that Solomon penned these words, but if we place, knowing that he was divinely inspired, if we place our understanding that he is speaking for God the Father, If your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost beings will rejoice when your lips speak right things. God desires to have a relationship with us, and he desires that we speak right things, to know his wisdom and to share it with others. I'm going to pause right here for a trigger alert. Just in case there's someone out here who is sensitive, and I don't think there's anyone here that sensitive, but there might be someone listening online. There are a lot of people these days who are really just going bonkers over the patriarchy that Scripture teaches. They think it is just so... Sexist. But you need to understand 
God does not hate women. And whenever the scripture talks about, and we see it a lot, when he talks about the son, he is giving in his mind and in his heart and for our understanding, he is giving all of his children, male and female, in Christ Jesus, firstborn status. And that's the way the ancients understood the inheritance went to the firstborn son. It's not patriarchy. It's our status in Christ Jesus, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. In Christ Jesus, you have firstborn status. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all in one in Christ Jesus. Now there's another another subject we would need to talk about for another day about our roles as may, we still while our status may I say our rank is equal our roles our responsibilities are different and we have to accept that in the wisdom of God God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He is saying to Every believer, man, woman, son, daughter, we have firstborn status. I do not dare say, and don't you dare think, that we were equal to the glory of Christ. But because of what he has done, we are loved. My son, may I say, my child, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Now, if we accept that the concept of wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs is interchangeable with the person of Christ or with God, you may hope in the joy of your father. you may hope in the joy of your father. My son, if your heart is wise, if your heart is wise, where do we find wisdom? We go back to chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge 
fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Remember I said there's family language used here. If God is the father who is the mother, that's got to be his bride, his church. Or his faithful church. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You in Christ Jesus, honoring him, rejoicing in the hope of his joy over you, shall receive blessing and it will be beautiful in your life. My heart, my son, if your heart is wise, God says, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Well, can, uh, preacher, aren't you stretching a little bit? Can you really get all of that out of this verse? If you look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, Scripture tells us, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I preached a sermon one time where I, this was my benediction. And there was a professor at the University of Alabama who taught music. He had a PhD. He was an elder in the church. He came back so excited. I never saw that before. Where was that verse? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with singing. My heart will rejoice. Hope in the joy of your father. We can pause and think, what, the question is, why is God so joyful? The passage of Zephaniah speaks of a future time when God has ended his judgment upon his people and all of their enemies have been destroyed and his people are earning a time of safety and blessing. Zephaniah is speaking of the future kingdom when the Messiah will reign with his people in Jerusalem. Depends on which view of eschatology you have there, but essentially it is prophetic. And we have, we may enjoy the promise of that hope now. Hope in the joy of your Father. Hope in the righteousness He provides. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners. But continue to fear the Lord in all the day. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue to fear the Lord in the fear of the Lord all the day. Do not envy the unrighteous. Do not envy the sinner. There is a term a lot of people use that's been very popular the last 30 or 40 years. Wow, that's wicked good, or that's wicked awesome. 
In order for someone to be good anymore, they're no longer good, they're bad. We've turned our language and our understanding topsy-turvy on top of itself. People today, and it's not just today, it's been going on for quite some time, where people of the world, the lost world, think that Christians don't want to have any fun. I'll make a confession. I know he's an atheist. But I enjoy Billy Joel's music. I think he's a talented man. I pray for his soul. There's a song he wrote many years ago. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh at the sinners, laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. There's no shame in being a Christian. There's no shame in being a righteous, good, God-fearing Christian. There's no shame in avoiding the sin of this world. Wear your robes that Christ clothed you with, with honor. Be glad to be a goody two-shoes. Have you ever heard where that comes from, goody two-shoes? In 1765, a man by the name of John Newberry published a children's book. It's kind of a take on the Cinderella story. It tells a story of, the story is titled Goody Two-Shoes, nickname of a poor orphan girl named Marjorie Meanwell because Marjorie always meant well, who goes through life with, because she's poor, only one shoe. When a rich businessman took pity on her and gave her a complete pair, brand new, she was so happy that she tells everyone that, oh, goody, I have two shoes. And the story goes on about Marjorie as she grows and becomes a teacher and marries a rich, rich widower. And the whole moral of the story, what he wanted to teach children, that earning the wealth, this earning of wealth serves as proof that her virtue had been rewarded. And that was a popular theme for all of the children books of that era. You do good, you will be rewarded. You do bad, you will not be rewarded. But it seems like a lot of people in the lost world have picked up on that little nickname Oh, you're just a goody two-shoes. Hope in the righteousness he provides. He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's traded places with you. He bears your sin away and gives you his robe his clean, spotless garment, his status as firstborn 
that you may stand before God the Father without fear of wrath. Hope in the righteousness he provides. How does he provide it? He who has... Here's a chapter that the traditional Jewish rabbis will not teach. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what they have heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. A little bit further down in that same chapter, Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord has put his son to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the God. It pleased God the Father to bruise. The word pleased in Hebrew, kafetz, if I pronounce it properly, literally means delight or delighted. Delights, desire. Desired, desire, desires, favors. Have any pleasure, have delight, have pleasure. 73 times the word is translated, in, depending on the context, and it depending on the um, I hate senior moments but 73 times it's translated in similar words but 15 times it's delight 7 times delighted 8 times delights here it is translated pleased God was delighted to crush his son for your redemption. A former pastor said it this way. Your salvation isn't complete until the son of God squeals. Hope in the joy of your Father. Hope in the righteousness he provides, for it is only found in Christ. 
this is what we tried to communicate last week. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. It's his day of sacrifice. A day he died so that we might live. A hope in the promise of eternal life. Hope in the promise. I remember years ago, my mother, oh, I miss her so. She was an evangelist. She loved having uh, Bible clubs in her home, had the children in the neighborhood come in nearly every week during the summer months. And during the winter months, she would very often go downtown to a mission where they had children's lessons every Tuesday. I would go with her with a candy for the candy bars to get one if you attended. And back then, people would decorate their houses at Christmas time like they do now. And mom always wanted to get the lights and get dad up on the roof and just, on the roof, just use the lights to string out the words, born to die. She said, that's the true message of Christmas. The annual celebration of Christmas is a tool to help us worship and revere the God we are supposed to love. It is our reminder that through the world so long ago, the world was in a hopeless state and God offered hope in the gift of his son. We do not find hope in the feverish exchange of gifts, though that might be fun for a flash on Sunday morning. We find hope in the relationship with God and through his son, Jesus Christ. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost beating will rejoice when your lips speak right things. I mentioned when I began that we live between two advents. Christ has come and we look forward him, to him coming again. Many of us have children and they just can't wait. December 25th seems so long ago. But this Christmas let us try and get our hearts and our minds adjusted to thinking that he's coming again. I will wait on the Lord and I will hope in him, Isaiah 8, 17. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Jehovah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation, Isaiah 12, 2. Hope. In the joy of, the fa of your father. Hope in the righteousness he provides. And hope in the promise of eternal life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus. And the gifts that we receive in him. And may we find security in the hope that you have provided. May we find wisdom in the relationship that is nurture and blessed by your word 
and your truth and your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in all things. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.